Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast. I'm Chris J. And I'm Sarah Abear. This is our 45th episode of the podcast. It is so hard to believe. Um, and this one features storyteller Laura Crawford. And All Y'all, in case you don't know, is a live storytelling event series and podcast produced independently right here in like our converted bedroom slash studio in Shreveport, Louisiana. Is it converted? Uh, it's not really converted. We didn't do anything to it. <laughs> Laura Crawford shared her story on stage at the Bossier Arts Council during our two-night event held in March of 2016 with the theme Mama and Daddy. Before we get to Laura's story, Chris and I would like to invite you to our next live event, and it is on the theme Love. It's going to be held on Saturday, November 11th at 7.30 p.m. at the Women's Department Club of Shreveport. Tickets are on sale now. You can get them on our website, allyallblog.com. This is our fourth annual fundraiser event, or as we call it, the Fidden to Award. The Fidden to Award was named by our late great friend Patrick Long, and it's awarded annually to an organization that is Fidden to do something to make the world a better place. This year's Fidden to Award recipient, we're proud to say, is the Martin Luther King Health Center and Pharmacy in Shreveport. We're donating 100% of the proceeds from ticket sales to this wonderful free clinic that provides primary health care services for the chronically ill and uninsured. So not only will you get to hear five great, true life stories about the power of love, but you will also be supporting an organization that truly puts love into action. Tickets are $15 each, and they're on sale now at allyallblog.com. The event will also feature live musical interludes from Nate Tremay and a cash bar provided by the good folks at Wine Country Bistro. This will likely be our last live event for like four or five months, so we hope to see some of you there. If you'd like to find out who'd be telling stories at Love, RSVP to our Facebook event, which you can find on the All Y'all Facebook page, or you can follow us on Twitter at all y'all podcast we wouldn't be able to do fundraiser events at all without the support of our sponsors including our title sponsor holiday lanes as we're recording this podcast episode thanksgiving and christmas are right around the corner if you've got family coming to town and you're looking for an activity that everyone can enjoy no matter their age or or how you know no matter who they are the uncles the nieces the nephews everyone loves a night of bowling at holiday lanes you can learn more at bowlholidaylanes.com we're also supported by Maxcentric, Shreveport's locally owned Apple premium service provider. So if Uncle Todd drops his iPhone into the turkey fryer while he's visiting, you know who can help? Maxcentric. Finally, we're also supported by Williams Creative Group, which is a full-service marketing and PR firm located right here in Shreveport. Give them a call when your business needs help telling its story. With no further ado, here's Laura Crawford telling the incredible story of her father's escape from the Nazis, which we're calling Robert Popper's Song. My father, Robert Popper, was born in Innsbruck, Austria in 1909. While many of his relatives perished in concentration camps, my dad miraculously was able to escape Hitler. He was born to Julius Popper, uh, of Vienna, Austria, and to Laura Weiss from Hungary, my grandmother. Laura's mother was actually born in Kiev, Russia. My grandfather worked for the White Star Shipping Line, and they had a comfortable life. They weren't wealthy, but my dad said they felt wealthy because they lived in one of the uh, loveliest neighborhoods 
in one of the prettiest cities in the most beautiful country in the world. My dad had a normal childhood. He had a, a pet goat, and uh, he, uh, he was actually nicknamed, I don't know that my family all knows this, but he was actually nicknamed Robert the Devil, which was the same name as a Meyerbeer opera because he was frequently into mischief. And uh, he had an older brother with a good German name, Siegfried, and they both uh, played musical instruments. Back then, before electronics, uh, people enjoyed playing chamber music in the homes. And so my brother played, uh, my father played cello, and his brother played violin. Their father also played violin. And sometimes these chamber music evenings would go on until two in the morning. And uh, my dad actually survived two world wars when he was in uh, uh, August the 1st, 1914, his family was traveling on vacation when World War I broke out. And they were detained in, in Paris. And they got out two days before all Austrian and German refugees were sent to refugee camps. My dad studied medicine in Innsbruck. He got his medical degree, but Lo and behold, after getting his degree, he was not able to get a job as a doctor because he was Jewish. So for 16 months, he tried, and he was given the title nothing of nothing more than a hospitant, which is someone who takes blood pressures and takes medical histories, but is not really a doctor. And he, he saw the handwriting on the wall and wanted to get out of Austria. My, my cunning dad, I can't believe, he, he wrote the, the U.S. government, and he tried to join the U.S. Army. And he got it. We still have the letter written to him in 19, as early as 1935, Dear Dr. Popper, we're sorry, but you have to be a citizen of, the, of our country to join the Army. And, you know, things got, things got worse. And in 1938, the climate of Austria changed so much overnight that many Austrians were sympathizers almost with Hitler and you would see red flags hanging in all the shops and even in the Jewish shops the, the word Jew was was put there and so people were afraid to buy anything much less even enter so times were very bad and in March of 1938 the Austrian government passed what was called the Empire escape tax um, how much it was it was everything you owned. So they made certain that you left the country with nothing. So my dad um, devised a plan how to get the instruments out. So they were in a, a shop in Innsbruck one day, a bicycle shop, and there was an American student from St. Louis who was traveling who was having trouble with his German. And they invited him to stay at their house and in, in return for the, the translating and the hospitality, he was happy to carry the instruments across into, the, into Switzerland, across the border. And he made three trips to get my grandfather's two cellos, two violas, and four violins over there. And stated that the guards looked particularly hard into the cello F-holes, looking to see if anything was hidden in there. Then, this was extremely clever, what he did, to get out some of his mother's jewelry and gold coins. He went to a carpenter and had a hollow toilet paper roll made, just the size that's in train lavatories and wash closets. 
And then he boarded a train going east from Innsbruck just to the next village. Got off, got back on a train going to Innsbruck, substituted his toilet paper rolls that were filled with his mother's jewelry and the gold coins, got off in Innsbruck. In the meantime, their maid, who had become disenchanted with the new regime, got onto that and was headed to Switzerland. She got on that train and was able to get off in Switzerland and find which laboratories those were hidden in and take the jewelry for safekeeping. So my dad knew that he had to get out, and they had tried several avenues to get to the United States, writing letters to several different people. And then he and his brother remembered they had played chamber music in the 1920s with a pianist from New York. So they, called, they, they wrote the pianist from New York to ask if he could help. He was now a banker in New York, and he said he couldn't help, but he would write someone in Chicago. So the president of the Chicago Printed String Factory agreed to sponsor the brothers to come to the United States, which was a, a huge thing. That was the only glimmer of hope to get out. So my dad had to wait to get these very, very important papers, and things were a, a mess right at that time. And so he had to leave Austria. And I can't imagine how it must have felt on September 20th, 1938, just seven short weeks before Crystal Night, to hug your parents goodbye knowing that you might never see them again. And he never saw them again. So he, he left and he had bought a transit visa on the black market in Vienna. And transit, it had a swastika on it, but really all it did was let you just travel from one place to the next. You couldn't stay anywhere. So he took the train to Latvia where he waited for three months with some friends that they knew for a letter of affidavit to sponsor you. Well, he received a letter, but it was not the letter that he expected. And he opened it and it read something like this, Dear Robert, you will not believe what has happened on November 9th. At 2 a.m. in the morning, the Nazis came to Laura and Julius Popper's door <coughs> and forced their way in. They said, you're going with us. So they took my grandparents on this cold, foggy night where the Inn River and the Sill River meet and are at its deepest. And they threw my grandparents in the water in the river to drown. They, they hunkered down and they, they stayed under the water while the, the Nazis yelled at them. And they, they just stayed under until, to pretend that they had drowned until they saw the headlights leave. They crawled there and they went to a nearby factory where they they knew the owner lived upstairs for help. And instead of helping, he called the police. And they took my grandfather to prison. And my grandmother went back to their house. Windows had been cracked open. Everything was ransacked. Their next door neighbor was killed with a crowbar. You see, Crystal Night is when all over Germany and Austria, the Nazis came and destroyed all the property of the Jewish people. And they burned over a thousand synagogues. My grandparents were fortunate in that 
they were able to later get out and get to England, although my, my father never saw them again. So my father is here in Latvia getting this news, and he finally received the letter of affidavit for his sponsorship. From there, he thought, I, I have to go back for the instruments. I have to go back to Switzerland and get those things. But he couldn't travel through Germany, obviously. And so he took an 11-day Latvian cargo boat through the Baltic Sea, where he was the only passenger, save a little dog that, humorously, he said could crawl up ladders. <laughs> but he went to Switzerland to retrieve his, his precious things. And it was there that he had a carpenter make a nine foot by three foot by three foot hinged box to put the instruments in. He had this box shipped back to England. And in England, he was able to meet up with his brother and his brother's wife there. From, from there, he took a ship to America. And he said he couldn't believe the menu on the boat. He said, I made a sport of eating everything from the top to the bottom. <laughs> and when he got to America, I just can't imagine his feeling of, of hope, but also loneliness and, and fear to be here in a country all by himself with his box, with his instruments, and the jewelry, and a few of his mother's fine linens that he had put in and some of his medical tools, and just the change in his pockets. He said he remembered that in New York, that a dozen oranges cost a dime. He here he had a medical degree, but he couldn't, he would have to pass the medical exam, but he didn't have enough English to be able to do it. And so he got a job, um, a license to drive a taxi, and also to paint signs. And he said people were very kind to the immigrants. They treated them al almost like people who had escaped lion's dens, and he said he finally got a job as a dental assistant making $12 a week. It was a happy day when he finally passed his New York medical exams, and he was given a residency offer at a hospital in Chicago. He moved to Chicago, and as fate would have it, he was able to turn around and medically be of assistance to the sponsor that had helped him when the sponsor had a heart attack. He was also later to, able to meet the young student who had smuggled the instruments out, the biker. And my dad, bless him, he went ahead and joined the U.S. Army. <laughs> then he was offered a position in Memphis, Tennessee at the VA hospital. He ended up going there and was chief of anesthesia there for 36 years and taught at UT Medical School. It was during the first couple of years that he was there that he met a lovely young lady of strong Christian faith from Pontotoc, Mississippi, Mariana Anderson. And she had trained as a physical therapist at Mayo Clinic and was there working. And they dated, and it was during a routine check that she found out that she had contracted tuberculosis from a patient. Then there was no treatment for tuberculosis other than to quarantine you, to collapse your lung, and put you in the hospital for a year in one room. She told my dad to move on with his life. And she was 
quarantined in this hospital on the Mississippi Riverfront, and my sweet dad came to see her every single night. She was discharged on Easter Sunday, 1949, and her first request was to go to Easter Sunday services and to praise God that she was out. Later that year, he married her. He had me and he had my brother and we had music in our home. And I played the violin and my brother played the cello and my dad continued to play the cello even though he was a doctor with friends in the Memphis Symphony and they had chamber music evenings at our house too. And then 13 years after they were married, he came home one day and he told my mother that he wanted to join her faith. He said that praying came as naturally as breathing to her. And it was her example in our church that led him to want that. My dad said at their 50th wedding anniversary that he had lost almost everything, but that he had a wonderful new family, all the Mississippi relatives and everyone there, and that he came to know our Lord in a way that surpassed all imagination of happiness. Today, I wear the locket and the earrings that were my grandmother's that were smuggled out in that toilet paper roll. I learned the violin on this Albani violin made in 1654 that my grandfather recovered in a court in Vienna after it had been stolen by the gypsies. My son, John Henry Crawford, plays the 200-year-old cello that my father played. And before my dad died, when he was 91, John Henry, on a little cello, played for my dad the night before he died. And my second son, Robert Crawford, played my dad's cello at his funeral. I know that if my dad hadn't gone back for those instruments, that I wouldn't have played the violin. I wouldn't have met my husband at a summer music festival. I wouldn't have moved to Shreveport and started a program, the Centenary Suzuki School, that's trained a 1,000 kids. I wouldn't be playing in the Shreveport Symphony or the Baroque Artists. My son wouldn't be playing the cello. And this cello has made its way back to Switzerland, where John Henry played at the Verbier Festival, back to Germany, and most recently last summer in Russia, he was chosen for the International Tchaikovsky Competition and was one of the top 25 there. And so I'm so grateful. My father taught me so much. He taught me the, about diligence and hard work and about not doing something unless you could do it well. He taught me to love music, and he taught me a strong faith. One of his doctor uh, students said in his obituary that Dr. Popper was one of the kindest, most compassionate men that he had ever met. And so I'm very grateful for all of this. But while I'm grateful, my heart is also torn for the millions of precious Jewish people who did not survive Hitler and consequently have no 
son or daughter to tell their story. Thanks for listening to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast. And don't forget to get your tickets now for All Y'all Live Love, which will be held on Saturday, November 11th, 2017 at the Woman's Department Club of Shreveport. As we head into the holiday season, Chris and I are really looking forward to digging into our archives and releasing some great stories that we've recorded at live events but haven't been able to release yet as podcast episodes. We've got some great stories to share with you. Speaking of sharing, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider posting it on your Facebook wall. All y'all is just a two-person team. It's just Sarah and I, and it really helps us grow when our listeners share these stories with their friends who we may never be able to reach otherwise. So please, if you enjoyed it, give it a share, uh, and we will really, really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Y'all. All (laughs) y'all. I'm going to leave it like that.